Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? I got $5. This is a run to the left. You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. Welcome to the all-new Fantasy Flex podcast from the Action Network. I am your host, Chris Raybon, joined as always by Sean Kerner. Glad you found us here on our new podcast home. As a reminder, between me, Sean Kerner, and new action fantasy expert, Samantha Praviti, we'll be delivering multiple episodes every single week this NFL season. Thanks, as always, for listening to us every season And now that we've got this new feed, we really need your help. Please follow, rate, and write a review for the Fantasy Flex. It's the single biggest way to help me out, to help Sean out, and to help other fantasy fans find us. We'll grab one Apple podcast review every week leading up to week one, and Sean and I will pick a winner and send you guys some Action Network swag. And today, we're going to talk tight ends. We got one of our own. Samantha Praviti in the house to talk tight ends with us. Samantha, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My fantasy flex debut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So for you guys that don't know, Samantha joined the company. How long has it been now? I joined in March. So it's kind of been a while, but it's all been off seasons. So I think that people will see me more now that the season's kind of ramping up. Well, get to know her, guys, because... <laughs> You need to. We are going to talk all about tight ends, the uh, the TE ones today. Uh, Sean, what's going on, man? Definitely excited for Samantha to join us. All three of us on a pod for the first time. Can't wait. I'm excited to talk tight ends. I just finished my tight end tiers and strategy article, so I'm ready to go. All right, yeah. Got make sure you guys check that out on ActionNetwork.com. And before we jump into kind of the tight end by tight end in terms of ADP, Samantha, I just want to ask you generally what's your tight end strategy heading into 2021 are you going stud tight end early or are you waiting for value more often it partly depends on a lot of different factors of course like if if there's going to be a tight end premium in that league but also depends on where I'm drafting if I can get a premium tight end like Kelsey early on, I might be going that route. But in general, I would say that on the onesie positions, the quarterbacks and tight ends, I'm probably waiting. I think there's a lot of value to be had. And after that kind of first two tiers of tight ends, I feel like it drops off significantly and you can kind of wait for those guys. So that is my general strategy. Sean, any thoughts on that? Is that kind of how you're going too? Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on uh, the league type, but, you know, you kind of want to get a top six tight end. If not, you're basically punting the position. Um, and, you know, quarterback, it's, you know, it's okay. It's a viable strategy to stream quarterback for tight end. It's a nightmare. Um, so I would avoid it if possible. So I do like getting one of the top six tight ends. Um, I'm okay with pretty much where all of them are going at ADP. So um, that's pretty much my overall strategy is kind of, targeting one of those top six tight ends. If not, I'm punting and it's very scary. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think the studs are worth it this year. I think it does kind of weak into that five, six range. And then, you know, as we will help everyone try to figure out, you're going to have to find a a diamond in the rough. You're going to have to find some value because the idea is to find one guy weight. Like you don't want to have to be switching guys in and out based on matchup. You know, these, the tight end sample size numbers in terms of defense, it's just a lot of volatility and, and randomness and things like that. So hopefully we can help you guys out in your draft strategies. Let's get right into it with the consensus number one tight end. That is Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs. Samantha, I'll ask you a two-part question. Number one, if you're up early in, in the draft in the first round, are you going Kelsey or Tyreek? And then number two, does the fact that Kelsey's entering his age 32 season worry you at all? I am going Kelsey if it's between Kelsey and Tyreek early on in that like late first round, early second round. I think that the distance between Kelsey and tight end two and Tyreek and the next guy. I mean, I think Tyreek is in that range, that same kind of tier with Diggs and Adams. So I don't think there's a huge separation there, but Kelsey is significantly better, I think, than the rest of the group. So if it's between those guys, I'm definitely going Travis Kelsey. And the age 32 season doesn't really worry me. He's just been so dominant, even in the past couple of years, finished as tight end one last year, nearly 60 points more than the second guy, Darren Waller. Um, He's got a ridiculous target share. And yeah, he's just been so dominant over four seasons of the last five seasons finished as the top tight end for fantasy. So not concerned at all. Don't think he's going to drop off this year. I would definitely lean Kelsey uh, over Tyreek just because of the drop off of the position. You know, it's pretty steep at tight end, whereas wide receiver, it's so deep. So it's more of a gradual drop off. I'm okay taking Kelsey in the top five, top six. However, I I do prefer taking him like at the end of the, the first round, because if you have Let's say you have like pick five or six. You can probably get Darren Waller to make it back to you or even round three. So I've been kind of treating uh, the draft in two halves there. So love getting Kelsey at the end of the first round. He gives you such a huge edge. Like Samantha mentioned, he's finished as the top tight end for the past five seasons. And the only season he didn't, he finished second. So he just gives you a massive, massive edge. And I'm not worried about him slowing down at 32. Even if he does decline a little bit, it's going to get offset with Patrick Mahomes entering his prime at 26. So you have an ascending player like Patrick Mahomes that could offset any potential decline. So I'm not worried about that either. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think Kelsey's age is going to be an issue. And I think he's actually a little bit of a safer pick than Tyreek, especially when you consider that Tyreek's been having some some health issues in camp, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, with the lower body. So you never you never like to see that. I don't know if it's a huge issue, but I think that just kind of tilts the scale a little more toward Kelsey. And yeah, there's, even if you have some drop off, like you said, Samantha, um, because of the age, there's still such a gap between him and and Darren Waller. And, you know, even last year it was over 30 PPR points and that, and Waller played one more game and had an excellent season. He had 107 catches, 1,196 yards and nine touchdowns. And Kelsey only played 15 games, still beat him by 30 PPR points, uh, 30 plus. So I really like Kelsey as the number one tight end. Number two, George Kittle, I'm still seeing in a lot of ADPs ahead of Waller. Samantha, do you think that is justified? Do you like Kittle over Waller? And what do you think of the potential for Trey Lance to affect his value. So I am taking Darren Waller over George Kittle. I think we're kind of splitting hairs between the two um, in 10 and two, 10 and three. Um, they are right next to each other for me. But that said, I think that Waller finishes higher than Kittle in most scenarios because he will see more targets and Kittle has more question marks in terms in terms of his injury status and the quarterback situation. Um, I think Lance will probably help Kittle's uh, value, but I, it, it is still a question mark at this point. And yeah, when Kittle is on the field, he is super, super dominant and elite tight end, but there are injury concerns. Um, so that's why I'm putting him one spot below Waller. But at the same time, I think they are neck and neck. Sean, what do you think about Kittle? Um, uh, you know, Kittle is probably arguably the best tight end in football right now, but I, I still think Waller is clearly above him um, in terms of fantasy. Um, you know, I think that the floor ceiling combo for Kittle is a little bit lower 
Uh, one of the only really faults with Kittle's game is his lack of touchdown production. Um, he's never top five touchdowns in a season. Now, of course, he is due for some positive touchdown regression. I haven't projected closer to six or seven this year, but still, I think Waller has a better chance of scoring like eight or more. So that that's a little bit of a concern. And, you know, Trey Lance, it, it's a bit of an unknown. I think he could lower, you know, the overall passing volume and touchdown, you know, odds for, for Kittle, but that remains to be seen. And, you know, Kittle for the first time really has an alpha wide receiver in this offense and Brandon Ayuk. So, you know, that could eat into his target share a little bit more. You know, Darren Waller is far and away, you know, the number one target in that offense. So I think he's a safer bet here. I'm taking Waller almost every time over Kittle. Yeah, I think Waller is absolutely safer. I agree because you look at what Waller's done the last two years. He's played in 16 games both times. Then you look at the Raiders offense. I don't think they have the risk of morphing into a super run heavy outfit the way the 49ers have at times uh, under Kyle Shanahan. I do think that defense will be better this year than it was last year, which uh, could hurt a little bit. And then you look at Trey Lance and he's a guy that the more games he plays, I think it actually does lower Kittle's projections a bit, because if you look at what Lance did uh, in college, he was a guy that would scramble on over 10% of his dropbacks. Now we know Jimmy Garoppolo is not the type to scramble Anytime he drops back, he's almost always going to get the ball out. So there just might be not as quite as many targets to go around per Lance drop back as there was per Jimmy Garoppolo drop back. So that's not ideal. And then Kittle, ever since that monster season, he has been trending down a little bit with the with the health. He hasn't been on the field quite as much. He's gone from a you know 16-game season where he – put up 1,377 yards to a 14-game season the next year where he put up uh, 1,053 yards and then just eight games last year and 634 yards. So uh, I think that, you know, that big season, maybe, I don't know if it took something out of him, I don't know, but the health hasn't been as pristine as Waller. So for all those reasons, I think that Waller is the right choice uh, for the number two tight end. In fantasy this year, I think Kittle is just a little bit uh, riskier, but uh, I want to get a little more in, in depth with Waller because we kind of you know started this conversation talking about Kittle. So, uh, Samantha, does anything change, I guess, for, for Waller this year? Is this kind of what to expect? The same, you know, the same thing that we've seen out of him the last two years, the, the go to guy for the Raiders, 90 catches in 2019, 107 last year. Yeah, I think this is definitely what we should be expecting. Uh, He is, like Sean said, definitely the alpha in this offense. And I think that that's kind of rare in terms of tight ends. So you're getting a ridiculous number of targets. He averaged 9.1 targets per game last year, which was second in the league. So I think it'll stay like that, if not better, um, moving into 2021. So I think that's really what makes him such an attractive option at uh, tight end two, because he has such a safe floor. And I think he has a really, really high ceiling. Yeah, Sean, any thoughts on Waller? He went from three touchdowns in 16 games in 2019 to nine in 16 games in 2020. So do you see him kind of settling in between that as far as the touchdown aggression? Uh, Yeah, like, you know, his breakout season in 2019, um, it, it was pretty clear that he he deserved more than three touchdowns on 90 receptions. I mean, he's six foot five, 255 pounds. He's a really good red zone target. So I was calling for massive positive touchdown regression last year. So I wasn't surprised to see the nine touchdowns. I was surprised, however, to see him, you know, beat out his receptions and yardage totals uh, last year. And I think this year with, you know, Nelson Aguilar, he's leaving behind 82 targets, 13 uh, team high, 13 end zone targets. I mean, it's possible that Waller's target share goes up this year, especially in the red zone. I mean, uh, you can't expect Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, and Hunter Renfro to absorb all those targets. Some are going to go to Waller. So it's scary to think about, you know, Waller's massively high floor end ceiling this year. So I think he could even improve this year, especially if he's healthy for all 17 games. I think he does kind of beat last year's number numbers as well. Yeah, and there's been nothing to really suggest that he won't be. Injuries are tough to predict, but you do like to see a guy that's been able to play Full seasons in back-to-back years. So love Darren Waller uh, as the number two. A lot of 
times he still goes as the third tight end off the board. I think that should be reversed with Kittle. Let's move on to Kyle Pitts, who is, of course, in year one, notoriously a difficult year um, for tight ends. Tight ends usually break out year two, year three at the earliest, but uh, Samantha, the market seems to have a lot of confidence in Kyle Pitts and in, in, in with the Atlanta Falcons, do you think it is warranted Pitts to be going over some more established guys like Mark Andrews and, and TJ Hawkinson? Yeah, this is definitely the start of the next year with Pitts, Andrews, and Hawkinson. I think that they're very similar. I think you could make a case for either three of them to go number four, and they would all be legit. You could make a case for either three of them to go number six, and it would totally be legit. That said, I've been pretty high on Kyle Pitts this offseason. I wrote a roundtable thing with uh, Mike Randall, who argued with me against him, of course, because of the bad history for rookie tight ends, and I totally understand that. That said, I think that the position has evolved a lot over the years. I think what we've seen in terms of the usage of tight ends and much more of a wide receiver capacity has um, really, really just grown. And I think that that's how uh, the Falcons offense will use him if they use him more as a blocker, which is really his biggest weakness. I think that they will be criminally misusing him. So I think that we'll see a significant target share, especially with Julio Jones no longer in that offense. And, you know, the Falcons taking him at four overall is not just like using an early draft pick. That's also like, I know a lot of people thought that they might go quarterback and kind of start this rebuild. So that kind of made a statement, I feel like, and they're just not going to, you know, not use him in his first year. So I think that he deserves to go for, um, like I said, I think the three are very, very close, but um, I totally buy into the hype. Yeah, that's well said because once the Falcons took him at number four, not only were they saying, Hey, we are, we're going forward with Matt Ryan. We want to use this guy Pitts." But they also were saying, we're going to live with our defense without a high pick, you know, to help that, which is only going to, I think, kind of keep them in game scripts that would favor the pass. So all those things are good. Um, Sean, though, I know you're big into the median projections. And I got to say, from a median standpoint, rookie tight ends generally do not produce at a level that would warrant being taken as a top five tight end. So where are you on Kyle Pitts headed into 2021? Yeah. So the, the tight end position usually takes a couple of years for, for a player to adjust to the NFL. So, I mean, to put things in perspective, um, in order for Kyle Pitts to hit at ADP, he has to, you know, have the best fancy football season by a tight end, by a rookie tight end since Keith Jackson back in uh, 1988, back when the only person playing fancy football was my father, Ken Kerner. Um, so, you know, just putting that in perspective, that's that's what you're saying when you're taking him, uh, you know, fourth off the board at tight end. Now, if there was a player worth betting on, it would be Kyle Pitts because he is a generational talent and he's going to be the number two target in a pass heavy offense. Um, so, you know, I probably won't be the guy taking him at, you know, fourth overall at tight end. But if he falls to me at six, like Samantha mentioned, this tier is so critical um, because th- at the end of this tier, that's it for me. I'm I'm not drafting a tight end, and that really throws a wrench in my overall draft strategy. So um, I'm just trying to get whichever tight end you know falls to me at like tight end five or six here. So if that's Kyle Pitts, great. But I'm probably not taking him here at four, just because like we've said, you know, the historical implications of rookie tight end going off aren't there aren't many examples. So you're you're taking a bit of a risk here, but. He does, he does seem like, uh, you know, the talent capable of doing that. So it, I'm kind of torn here. Yeah, it's tough because I think anytime you have a talented rookie, I think what happens is when you're in a fantasy draft, you kind of get FOMO. Like you don't want to miss out on the shiny new toy who just might set the league on fire uh, immediately and, and be one of the top players at his position. But with that being said, I do see some risks with Kyle Pitts. I mean, number one, only four rookie tight ends since the merger have had 700 or more yards receiving in their rookie years. So that's really what Kyle Pitts is going to need uh, that and probably more to pay off his ADP. Uh, and then you look at the way the Falcons are kind of set up here. And yes, they got Arthur Smith who notoriously favors multi tight end sets. You know, he's going to be the head coach coming over from Tennessee, 
But you also have another capable guy there in Hayden Hurst. And I'm not saying Hurst, Hurst is going to be like schemed or game plan for targets above Pitts necessarily, but it's a guy that, you know, he could take some snaps that, you know, if you had Pitts and nobody else, or you're like a one tight end team, I think Pitts's snap share would be a little bit more locked in. We don't know exactly just how many snaps he's going to play. Um, you, this could always be something like a Mark Andrews situation, which ironically Andrews, I believe his rookie year was also competing with Hurst and, and a couple other guys for, for snaps as well. And very talented receiving tight end, but uh, still didn't quite uh, live up to, you know, top five, his rookie year. You look at a guy like George Kittle, very talented, you know, Sean mentioned probably the best, most talented tight end in the league right now, his rookie year uh, on a pretty shaky San Francisco team, 15 games, 63 targets, 43 catches, 515 yards. And then we got the 1377 yards the, the in year two. So I, I do think we have to kind of temper expectations a little bit with Kyle Pitts. I think the value has been drafted out of him. If he's going as the fourth tight end off the board, you would have liked to see him, uh, I think closer to six to start at least giving him, you know, some, some upside there to jump into the top five, but now you're, you're, you're really kind of banking on him being the best tight end, the best rookie tight end we've seen ever. So uh, yeah, probably a guy I'm not going to have as much, as much exposure to um, as, as some other people. But uh, let's go to Mark Andrews, a guy who had a similar, I think, you know, reminiscent a little bit of Pitts, not, you know, not necessarily from a pedigree perspective, but I think in, in the way his game is, you know, receiving first tight end, will he play all the snaps, you know, going to be, you know, on a team with that likes to play multiple tight ends, uh, Samantha, Mark Andrews, he's, he's been the one that's kind of caught the raw deal because I think if there wasn't this generational rookie, Mark Andrews would probably be the number four tight end. Uh, but he's down at number five in, in ADP. Never quite been a guy to play a full complement of snaps. That's really the only thing that's held him back. What do you see happening with Andrews this year? Is he a top five tight end for you? I think he's a top five guy. Like I said, I think there's not too, too much uh, distance between the four and the six spots here. His downfall has been the snap count and targets. I think he ranked eighth last year in, in targets mm-hmm. among tight ends. So yeah, the scheme definitely doesn't favor him. That said, he's super, super consistent. And he gives of the three guys in this tier, probably I think the safest range of outcomes. So I, like I said, you could definitely make a strong case for him to be taken it for. So it really could go either way. I, you know, he finished his tight end five last year. I think that's a very recent reasonable expectation for him this year. The great thing about him is even though the scheme and some other things don't necessarily favor him in terms of the low pass volume, he is essentially their number one target, right? So when he's on the field, they're looking for him. His target per route numbers are are really good. Uh, Sean, 10 touchdowns in 2019 for Mark Andrews, seven in 2020. Is this a guy we can count on for that high number of touchdowns year in, year out, because if not, then that's where I think it starts to get shaky. That's where I think the floor starts to, to really decrease. And maybe he's not worth that pick if we can't you know, lock in those touchdowns. So where are you on, on that touchdown projection for Mark Andrews? Yeah, I think uh, certainly we can bank on him being a, you know, pretty prolific touchdown score. You know, it's funny that that year he broke out you know, with 10 touchdowns. He did on limited snaps. Like you said, he was competing with Nick Boyle and Hayden Hurst. Um, and then last year, especially after Nick Boyle went down and Hayden Hurst is on the, the Falcons, he was averaging 80 to 85% routes run per dropback, uh, but his efficiency took a hit. So that's why I think he does offer a pretty high um, floor now with the playing time, but also he has a super high ceiling if he were to return to those efficiency levels we saw um, back in 2019. And I think you could kind of put some blame on Lamar Jackson last year. I mean, he Mark Andrews finishes the tight end five despite Lamar Jackson having a really bad season. So I think I personally, I'm expecting Lamar, Lamar Jackson to bounce back in a big way this year, and Mark Andrews will certainly benefit. So that's why right now he's my tight end four. Granted, I have about one fancy point separating these three tight ends, so it's not that big of a deal. But right now I have him over Kyle Pitts and TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. And, you know, the snaps are always going to be, I think, what you have to look for for Andrews because, yeah, his his uh, routes per drop back went up a little bit, but he still only played 
80% of the total snaps uh, once last year. Uh, that was in week 11 against the Titans. Uh, he only played more than 70% of the snaps four times. So, you know, he's it, kind of game script dependent in a way, right? Like you think of running backs like that, but it's if the Ravens are in their run heavy scripts, this guy a lot of times is not going to, to, to get as many routes as we want, even if he's on the field for a high percentage of them. So uh, it, it's tough with him, but I do think that, the touchdowns are, are here to stay because Lamar Jackson has kind of proven that he will, um, you know, he will be a uh, above average touchdown percentage guy uh, these last two years. And those touchdowns uh, are going to go to Andrews first. Those red zone targets are going to go to him first. Uh, so I, I still like him for, for seven to, you know, seven plus touchdowns at least. Uh, but uh, a guy I really like and I actually am at the spot point where I think I like him above Mark Andrews is TJ Hawkinson. Uh, so Samantha, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Hawkinson uh, now entering year three does have a new coaching regime here with Dan Campbell, new quarterback with Jared Goff, uh, but a big lack of wide receiver depth uh, on this lions team, which means it could be a big uh, target share for Hawkinson uh, where are you with Hawkinson entering his third year? Yeah, all three of these guys have a lot of plus sides going for them and then a lot of uh, things going against them, of course, too. Hawkinson, he's ridiculously talented. And uh, the things going for him would be lack of wide receivers. Yeah, that's probably a criminal understatement with the state of the Lions depth chart being Tyrell Williams and Quintess Cephas and Brashad Perriman. Um, none of those guys, I think, are really going to you know, be a wide receiver one or really distinguish themselves this season. So TJ Hawkinson is going to be that top option in that uh, offense that said what's dragging him down is going to be Jared Goff. I'm very, very concerned about what we saw last season. And there's a really good chance that this whole offense just is very anemic. And that really concerns me from a touchdown perspective, um, especially with Hawkinson being a tight end. So, you know, I think there's a lot of risk, but that said, he is, he's been really, really strong um, in the, the couple seasons that we have seen him. So that's why he, and he deserves to be in this tier, but there are some concerns for sure. John, where are you with Hawkinson? Um, so like I mentioned, I, I just wrapped up my tight end tiers uh, and strategy article. And I, I pretty much found that TJ Hawkinson is the most valuable tight end in my overall draft strategy like I mentioned this tier it's so tight but once it's off the board that's it like my plans are out the window and I'm punting the position altogether and you know TJ Hawkinson is usually the last tight end drafted from this tier um, which is uh, if you haven't read my articles I love taking players at the end of a tier uh, before a huge drop off so you know when I go in my draft, I, I would love to come out with T.G. Hawkinson, but it's a bit risky because if he gets taken off the board, I'm screwed. Um, so that's why I call him my most important um, tight end in my draft. But, you know, you guys mentioned all the reasons I, I'm, you know, in love with him this year. Uh, he's 24, entering year three. I mean, he's he's entering his prime. Um, he's going to be Goff's number one target this year. The, the Lions probably have the worst wide receiver depth chart in the league. But also, you know, Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman, they're more of the deep threat type of receivers that Jared Goff really doesn't like targeting. So that could lead to even more targets for TJ Hawkinson. Um, and the Lions should provide plenty of uh, negative game scripts. So I'm not worried about pass volume or anything like that. I just consider him a really high floor ceiling type pick and just one of the most valuable picks I think you can make in rounds five or six. Yeah, I love Hawkinson. I think when I look at this tier, I think he's the guy over a Kyle Pitts who, but you know, rookies do have that cap ceiling. Um, Andrews, I think is going to have a cap ceiling because of the low pass volume and because of the snap counts. I don't really see that cap ceiling for TJ Hawkinson. I think he's that one tight end in the second tier that could legitimately finish as the tight end one overall. If things break right, I think he's the one guy that could truly challenge Kelsey challenge Darren Waller in that next tier, because even the things that kind of work against him, maybe in theory, like a quarterback downgrade to Jared Goff, you know, as you mentioned, Sean, this is a guy who, and we've gotten reports in camp that doesn't, isn't throwing the ball down the field. You have a, a bad team. So that's me. That means more pass scripts. You have so you have so many things kind of working in Hawkinson's uh, favor here that I think you could see, 
one of those kiddo like seasons where let's remember kiddo had that 1300 yard season, not just because of his talent and, and everything, but because of that was before San Francisco's defense was really great. That was before San Francisco was really a great team. And so you had this situation where they didn't have uh, great wide receiver depth and they were behind and uh, you know, had a quarterback that wasn't really going downfield either in Jimmy G and everything just kind of worked out. And, and I could see that season for TJ Hawkinson in his range of outcomes can't really see it for Andrews or Kyle Pitts as talented as they are. So really like TJ Hawkinson uh, as that number one tight end you're drafting in that second tier. Uh, so as the, as the TE four, let's go to the, the back half. Cause this is where things start to get really dicey. Noah Fant is the tight end seven off the board. Samantha, he has a good defense. He has uh, there's a crowded wide receiver court, you know, shaky quarterback play. Maybe there's a lot of things kind of getting in the way of Fant, who I look at is like the TJ Hawkinson. I feel like Fant's the guy with everything going wrong, you know, for him in terms of the circumstances, kind of the opposite. But where are you on, on Noah Fant? Yeah, it's tough because I feel like I was definitely all in on Fant's breakout last season. And he's obviously extremely talented, has all the physical attributes to be a really successful tight end. Now, that said, he's got a lot of things working against him. You mentioned the defense, the crowded receiver core. Um, you know, I think Judy and uh, Cortland Center are going to have great years. Uh, and yeah, the the shaky quarterback situation uh, at this point, I think Locke is the betting favorite at plus a hundred to take that job, which I kind of assume is not great for Fant. Um, I don't know where you guys actually stand on um, which quarterback is going to be better for Fant since Fant, like tight ends generally can overcome some shaky quarterback play. But yeah, I mean, a lot of things have just not set him up for success. So it's really difficult to make a case for him at tight end seven. I think, you know, he's fallen a lot in a lot of drafts that I've done into the double digits, maybe into tight end 10 through 12. Um, and, you know, I, I think you could definitely make a case for him to be down there as well. Yeah, it just seems like he's a guy that could frustrate despite all the talent. But, uh, Sean, where are you on Noah Fant? Yeah, so I have nothing wrong with Noah Fant. I think he's one of the best up-and-coming tight ends in the game. But, you know, as you mentioned, this, this defense should be pretty good. The quarterback situation's really subpar, um, and it's a crowded wide receiver depth chart. Like, it, it's hard to see how Fant's going to provide you uh, the consistency you'd want from a tight end. That's why I'm saying I'm avoiding this tier altogether because you can make a case for like the next eight to 12 guys. Like they all have a compelling case why they could hit or why they could bust. Um, and I looked last year, we were sort of in a similar situation where guys like Evan Ingram, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Higby, and Hunter Henry were going in this range, you know, round seven through eight. And I feel like if you were to use around seven or eight draft pick on them, you would hang on to them for a little bit too long because they all became droppable at points last year. So it's sort of the sunk cost fallacy where you're just hanging on them just because you spent high draft capital on them. But that's you, you kind of want flexibility in this range because there's some guys that could pop up last year. It was Logan Thomas, um, Robert Tunyon, like guys like that you probably missed out on because you're hanging on these guys because you drafted them so early. So I think at this point in the draft, it's better to just punt, take a flyer late in the draft and just kind of play the waiver wire until – you get a guy that hits or you can just draft one of the top six tight ends like we've been saying. Um, but that's kind of why I'm avoiding a guy like Fant, where I think he does deserve to be the tight end seven. It's just he sits atop a massive, massive tier. So that's why I'm probably not going to be drafting him too much. Yeah, I'm right there. Fant is kind of strikes me similarly to Kyle Pitts, where the talent is going to get a lot of smart people on board, but it just seems to me that at this average draft position, everything's going to have to go right just for him to pay it off. And there's not a lot of room for him to beat it. Because even if you think Fant is more talented than Hawkinson, you have to consider the likely target difference on a week-to-week basis just because the Lions uh, are likely going to be bad because there's no, uh, there's not the same type of target competition coming from the wide receiver position for Hawkinson that it is for Fant. So uh, yeah, I can, I could see Fant uh, not paying off, not even being a top 10 tight end. He was 11th last year, but I could see him in that same range. And I think it's just going to be very frustrating from one week to the next to actually predict 
when he's going to have a big game because he will have big games. He's very talented. The defense does have other guys to worry about, but uh, I, I, it, there may not be much of a rhyme or reason to who goes off when uh, in this Denver receiving course, especially if their defense is as good as it looks on paper. Dallas Goddard, this is a guy I think we've been wanting to love since he was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. And now he's like a tease because the Eagles keep saying, or we keep hearing Zach Ertz is gone. He's going to be traded, but he's still there. There's reports that he may go to this team or that team, but he's still there. And he's actually been having a pretty good camp. So Samantha, how are you treating Goddard uh, given that Ertz is still on the roster as of early August. Yeah, it's really difficult because I think he is, he vaults himself into that second tier with Hawkinson, Andrews, and Pitts if Ertz is not on the field. But that said, the ghost of Ertz is lurking and we really don't know how that's going to work. And I feel like the Eagles will use two tight ends if Ertz stays. So, it's very difficult to say. I think, like you said, um, he's a guy that I feel like the fantasy community has just been waiting for his like big, big year. And he finished as Ted in 19 through 11 games last season. So like I said, I think he has the uh, potential to be up there with the next year, but the opportunity right now isn't looking super, super great, especially with um, a scheme that may not, necessarily favor a ton of throwing um at the eagles yeah because i think uh, i think that's very well put because if Jalen hurts remains a quarterback it's similar situation to what i think you know could happen with if trey lance takes over in san francisco where these guys just scramble on you know 10 percent plus of their dropbacks and so that's going to take a few targets away and you're also probably just going to call a less pass heavy game plan, you know, with a guy like Jalen Hurts than you had with, with Carson Wentz, um, I, I think, you know, for all those years. So it's a little bit of a weird situation. I think that Goddard could be like a Hawkinson if if it were for the, the, the pass volume if Hurts left, because I think the Eagles may still be uh, on the bad side. I think near the bottom of the division, some pass heavy game scripts, not a lot at wide receiver, especially if Devonta Smith is struggling with any type of injuries that linger. So uh, I, I do think there's that upside there, but it hasn't fallen quite into place yet the way it has for Hawkinson. Sean, uh, where are you on Dallas Goddard? I know you've always been pretty high on him over the, uh, over the years. Yeah, last year I remember uh, banging the drum on just drafting him as a high upside stash just in case Zach Ertz went down. So um, I am very, you know, interested to see what happens with Zach Ertz. Um, if he stays in Philly, like you're overpaying for Goddard at eight. And another guy that I said, like, you're going to hang on for too long uh, because you're spending high draft capital on. Um, but even if Zach Ertz were to get traded, I don't think Goddard would necessarily come close to the, the tier we talked about with Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, and TJ Hawkinson. That's why he's a pass for me. Um, you mentioned it. Like, it, it would be one thing um, if, you know, Ertz got traded away and Carson Wentz was still quarterback. We know that Carson Wentz loves targeting his tight ends. We're still unsure what to expect from Jalen Hurts. But, you know, last year in a three-game sample, granted it's a small sample size, but when Jalen Hurts was quarterback and Zach Ertz was there, um, Goddard finishes the tight end 25. So, you know, not a fan of small sample size, but that was not great to see. Um, so, you know, Goddard has a ton of downside. Um, obviously I think, you know, I, I'm a Dallas Goddard stand. I think he has top five potential, but just there's too many factors going against him right now to warrant, um, taking him at tight end eight. Yeah, absolutely. And so wait, let me ask you this, um, Sean, if, if Ertz is traded, let's say he's traded, yeah. Where did, where does Goddard end up in your rankings? Um, I, I think he would definitely be tight end seven. Um, and I think he'd actually be his own tier um, between the, the tier four of Pitts, uh, Hawkinson, and Andrews, and then Dallas Goddard by himself, um, and then the next four or five guys. So I think he would make a case to be in his own tier where he, he would be a good backup plan. I keep talking about like TJ Hawkinson's go big or go home plan for me. Like I want him, but if I don't get him, I'm screwed. Uh, Dallas Goddard would now be sort of a safety net play for me. If Ertz were traded away, that's how I'd view it. 
What about you, Samantha? Do you see Goddard kind of in his own tier at, at TE7 if if Ertz is traded, or you still put him in that you know lump with all the other guys? Yeah, I think you could definitely make a case for him being at the bottom of that second tier or in a tier of its own, as Sean put it. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think when I said that he could be in that tier, a lot of things would have to go right or it's being gone and maybe a little bit of a shift in that offense. Hopefully the Eagles are a little bit of a better team in that scenario. So, yeah, I think it would be difficult for him to necessarily finish in that tight end four to six range. So, yeah, he feels like a little bit below those guys, but it would certainly improve his, his status. Speaking of improving their status, Logan Thomas was an NFL journeyman who made a position switch heading into last year. And then he became one of the most prolific tight ends in the league. Now he's going as the ninth tight end off the board. Samantha, uh, thoughts on Logan Thomas, because this dude just came out of nowhere last year. Yeah, there was a couple of guys that I feel like just came out of nowhere that were in that group of like Robert Tunyon, but also not even just tight ends. I mean, like James Robinson comes to mind and that group of people that like, we just really didn't necessarily know a ton about. And uh, even on his own team, Antonio Gibson, um, like, I think that it's interesting because in some sports, like for instance, in like fantasy baseball, there's a huge like Yankees premium that you pay. I think there's the opposite for Washington in a lot of like normal lay people drafts that people just have for so long thought that the Washington football team was kind of trash and no one really wanted any part of them for fantasy purposes. So interestingly, Logan Thomas being at nine, like I got him in the last spot of a CVS expert draft, actually, um, which literally seems egregious to me that I got him in the last pick. Like, (laughs) um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that I'm not expecting tight end six numbers, which is where he finished last year in PPR, but in half PPR. But um, I certainly think that he deserves to be in this tier. He could certainly finish um, anywhere between, I think, seven and 10 feels reasonable. Uh, Washington had one of the uh, best sneaky uh, free agencies and off seasons, I think. So they'll be competitive. Um, One thing that does maybe maybe concern me a little bit is Ryan Fitzpatrick's track record with um, fantasy tight ends um, not being super, super high on tight ends in the past. So we'll kind of see how that offense plays out. But that said, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a significant upgrade from their weird menagerie of quarterbacks last year. So I have high hopes for him. Yeah, Logan Thomas, man, uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you, you start to say, oh, well, Fitzpatrick maybe hasn't been the best for for tight ends, but I mean, you look at the guys they were trotting out last year. I mean, Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, uh, Kyle Allen. It just wasn't a great group of quarterbacks. So I, I do think that that situation will improve regardless. Uh, Sean, where are you on Mr. Logan Thomas? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with uh, Thomas going ninth um, off the board at tight end. You know, I think you're, you're sort of um, buying playing time at this point, uh, you know, only Travis Kelsey ran more routes than him last year. That's such a critical stat when it comes to tight ends too, because not all tight ends, um, you know, run a lot of routes. It's a position where you can block a lot and, you know, get phase out of the passing game. So I think that is the main selling point with Thomas. Um, but he was pretty inefficient with his routes. Uh, last year, he had a 1.14 yards per route run, um, which was 32nd out of 43 tight ends, which is not good. You know, and his target share will probably take a hit now that they made a significant upgrade at wide receiver two with um, Curtis Samuel. And even Adam Humphreys in the slot, I think, could siphon plenty of targets away from Logan Thomas. So I think the lesson with Logan Thomas is what Samantha said. You know, she was able to get him the last round last year, I think those are the kind of guys once you get to this range that we're trying to hit on. I mean, every year there seems to be a guy that breaks out last year's Robert Tunyon, Logan Thomas. The year before that, it was Darren Waller. The year before that was George Kittle. Um, so I think in this range, I'll pass at all tight ends in, you know, this round seven through nine ADP and then just, you know, shoot for the moon later in the draft and play the waiver wire. I think Logan Thomas is kind of an example that you can kind of strike gold later on at tight end. I'm actually okay with Thomas here. He's one of the few guys in this tier, in this like back half of the tight ends that I'm okay with. And it is because of the playing time. Routes are just so hard to come by for tight ends. And Logan Thomas, uh, forget routes. Like this is, this is a guy who was on the field as a blocker and as a receiver. He just wasn't coming off his median snap count 
His median snap rate, I should say, last season was 95%. That is unheard of for a tight end. He's essentially not coming off the field. And he had a 32.1% red zone target share last year, with which was fourth in the entire league. So, and, and of course, leading the, the Washington football team. So just a couple of really good indicators that he should have a high floor, even if he uh, is somewhat inefficient relative to his peers that are getting so much playing time. But I do think some of that inefficiency is, was also due to the quarterback situation last year. I mean, there's not going to be that many yards per route run when you're talking about <laughs> uh, Kyle Allen and Alex Smith and, and Taylor Heineke because there's not many yards per drop back, not many yards per attempt there. So I, I do like Thomas. Uh, it, it, I think he's the one guy that I really feel like he won't kill you even if he doesn't, even if he's not a sexy pick. Uh, and also, I think when it comes to like this Washington wide receiver two, you know, upgrade, like on paper, they added some guys, but I don't know how much it's truly going to affect Thomas because I think, uh, number one, I don't know if they're going to use Curtis Samuel the right way, given that they kind of used him uh, as an outside receiver. And that was really what kind of Washington you know, what they would need a little more, you know, if they were going to upgrade on, let's say a guy like Cam Sims or whatever. Um, but also like, and then Adam Humphreys, I mean, Adam Humphreys is a cut candidate. Like he may not make the team. So we just really don't know exactly what's going to happen. Deami Brown. I think I he thought you're is- projecting Humphreys for over 60 receptions though. What happened to that? <laughs> I mean, the more I read about camp, it's just not set in stone. Like it's just, right. it's, we don't yet know exactly. And then Samuel's been struggling with injuries. So we really just don't know what they're going to do. And I think a lot of it is going to depend on on Brown and how much he develops. You could see a starting lineup with Brown, with McLaurin Brown and, and, you know, Sims, or you could see it with, you know, a a true slot guy like Humphreys, like we, or Samuel in the slot. Like we don't know what's going to happen based on the injuries and everything, but uh, I I just think it's hard to to come by that, that like 90 plus percent snap share at tight end. So, I was, I, I, I'm fine with Thomas. I'm not avoiding him. It's not sexy, but uh, I think you do give yourself uh, some interesting upside anytime you're talking about a guy that's going to be on the field for almost every snap at this position. Uh, all right. Speaking of a guy in, in snaps, Rob Gronkowski, kind of on the other end of that, not a guy at this stage in his career that is going to play a full complement of snaps. So, man, that you have Gronk, who turned into more of a blocker during the Bucks Super Bowl run in the postseason. You, ha- you still have Cameron Brait there, and you have O.J. Howard. Is Gronk a top 10 tight end, given all of this you know, uncertainty? Or, or where, what do you think of, of Gronk heading into this year? Yeah, he finished his tight end A last season, and I have no problem taking him as a top 12 tight end. Um, I don't feel with any certainty that he's going to finish as a top 10 guy. I mean, I don't think there's a huge difference between there. But, you know, we did see a period of him kind of readjusting to the league, getting back into shape, um, and then kind of getting gaining momentum towards the end of the season. Yeah, we did see him as a bit of a, a more of a blocker too. And I am a little concerned about OJ Howard. Like he's a guy that I actually had as a top sleeper candidate last season gets injured really, really early. Um, he was on my Scott Fishbowl team. Uh, cool stuff. But uh, so I think he will take away some snaps, but you know, that chemistry with Brady and all that, I think he gives you an, a nice, um, you know, floor later, later in the draft. So if you're going to wait on tight end, I think, Gronk makes sense, um, you know, as a, as a late round guy. Sean, where are you on Gronk? Samantha mentioned she thinks he has a pretty high floor. Uh, Is that how you see it for Gronk? Um, He has a high floor in that, you know, this, this is going to be one of the best offenses again this year. Um, So he's a touchdown dependent tight end that will probably score a lot of touchdowns. So that's nice. (laughs) Um, But you should not be drafting him number 10 at tight end uh this is an adp that kind of makes sense in like your home league where you know he has a name recognition he could go in the top 10 but like expert high stakes drafts he's going as low as like tight end 18 um there's just too much not to like about him this year um Samantha mentioned it oj howard i mean rob gronkowski was pretty much irrelevant weeks one through four when oj howard was playing um oj howard was the top um, fancy tight end for the Bucks, um, and then we didn't see Gronk really break out until OJ Howard went down. Well, OJ Howard's back, so I'm expecting Gronk, you know, to be more of a two to three way tight end committee. It's a mess. Um, I'm avoiding Gronk at all costs in this range. Um, yeah, don't take him inside the top ten. 
Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't actually think he has that high of a floor because there's just so much uncertainty with how this tight end rotation is going to break out. And Gronk is a, a, a very respected and valued blocker, even at this stage in his career. And that's why I think you saw him disappear in terms of the, the offense at times. And this Tampa Bay offense, even though you have a high floor in, in the sense of Tom Brady's at quarterback, we saw what he can do even at his advanced age. You're also competing with Mike Evans. You're competing with Chris Godwin. You're competing with Antonio Brown. You're competing with Giovanni Bernard, maybe. So, I mean, there's just so many targets on this team to go around that on a week-to-week basis, I, I just feel like I'm not going to have a lot of success or an edge, I guess you could say, pre- predicting when Gronk is going to have his big games. He had three or fewer receptions in 14 uh, of his 20 games last year. So that is uh, 70%. So I, I just think there's a, a low weekly floor with this guy even though he proved that he still can play and he's not like completely washed I think the year off did him good 20 games probably not ideal you know for him to play 20 games so I think the year to draft him was actually last year Uh, this year I just see I just see the floor a little lower and I mean this guy played in 20 out of 20 games last year Uh, I don't know if I see that continuing uh, you know, going forward. Remember, this guy was always a guy who, who you counted on for a couple of missed games most seasons. So not really feeling that great uh, about Rob Gronkowski. Mike Gusecki, hopefully he's feeling better. Recently got placed on the COVID list. But you look at him last year and he had a, a, a pretty good season, all things considered. Uh, finished as the number seven tight end in, in PPR leagues with 53 catches, 703 yards, and six touchdowns. Samantha, given the additions for Miami at receiver and this recent news for Gusecki, but also the fact that we could see a step forward from Tua, did Gusecki hit his ceiling last year, or is this a guy that can continue to build on, on, his, uh, on his breakout? I kind of think he hit his ceiling last year. I think tight end seven is yeah, his ceiling for this year. Uh, I I could see him finishing as a top 12 guy, but he doesn't really have a huge number of targets. Um, So that kind of makes him a little more touchdown dependent. I was concerned about the way Tua looked in this offense and um, you know, the additions with Jalen Waddle and everything, I think that could even eat into his targets a little more. Um, So I don't necessarily think that's a great thing for him um, this season. So I have him kind of at the bottom of this tier and maybe even slipping outside of it. Yeah. It seems like another guy, as, as you kind of allude to Samantha, just with a low floor, a guy that he's being drafted here because somebody has to, but uh, you know, he could easily go from tight end 11 ADP to like a tight end 18 finish or something like that. Uh, Sean, where are you on Mike Gusecki? Yeah, so Gusecki kind of reminds me of Noah Fant where, you know, I love him as a tight end. He's one of the best up and coming tight ends entering their prime. But, you know, the, the Dolphins defense should be pretty good this year. And, you know, I don't expect enough passing yards to go around to, you know, support more than two to three fancy options a week. Um, so, you know, Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller there, um, it, it's going to make Gusecki pretty inconsi- inconsistent week to week. So, you know, I don't hate his ADP at tight end 11. I think he does offer sort of the upside you do like, but, you know, again, there's guys that you can get practically in the last round of the draft that I think have just as much upside. Um, so, you know, Gusecki, it's, it's a tough call because I love him as a tight end. I think he does have the potential, but I think just, the variables around him just limit him. So yeah, I'm, I'm avoiding Gusecki pretty much in all my drafts right now. Yeah. He's not a guy I'm getting much if any of. And the reason being is he's another guy I think is, uh, has a low floor because not only the increased target competition, but also because he's another one of those tight ends that he's more of a pass catching specialist and doesn't always see a high complement of snaps. So uh, Miami, Mentioned, Sean, that he, you know, they could have a good defense this year. I have a lot of respect for Brian Flores as a head coach. I think Miami could be pretty good. So you look at, at Gusecki and his median uh, snaps last year were 66%. So he could be one of those guys that he doesn't see quite as many routes on a per week basis 
as you need um, for, for that top, you know, 10 finish. And then you also factor in Miami has a lot of other blocking tight ends and guys that they will bring in in, in situationally, Adam Shaheen, a guy they just gave a con a big contract to. They also drafted Hunter long. So uh, Gusecki may not be totally in the future plans either. And there's just a lot of options to kind of rotate here. So this is a situation that even if Miami's passing game improves overall, I don't know how much Gusecki really reaps the benefit of it. Uh, I totally agree with you, Samantha. I think he hit his ceiling last year. Uh, the number 12 tight end who should be going up the board now that Aaron Rodgers is back in for 2021 is Robert Tunyon. Samantha, is that really all you we needed to see for t- to, to vault Tunyon into more so the top half of the back end tier rather than the bottom? I mean, I could easily see myself taking Tunyon over Noah Fant like 100 times out of 100 in, in a draft. So uh, where are you on, on Tunyon, given that Rodgers is, is back with the Packers for 2021? hundred times out of a hundred. That is very bold. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I totally think he deserves to be at the top tier of this. Uh, yeah, I think he was going a lot lower because I, and we saw that with Aaron Jones. We saw that with Devontae Adams, that they were slipping a lot farther in drafts. than I think like I saw Devontae Adams going like the third round in some drafts and oh, we're not God. seeing that anymore <laughs> now that Rogers, uh, I mean, it, all things point to him playing a full 17 games this season. Um, so that'll really help Tanya. And that said, don't expect 11 touchdowns. That seems definitely outside of the realm of possibilities. Um, he had only 3.7 targets per game, which also makes his floor a little bit less safe, I think, than some of the other guys that were, you know, averaging maybe five targets per game, six targets per game. Um, but yeah, having Rodgers as your quarterback certainly does not hurt. Um, it's just, yeah, a little bit concerning because we're coming off of a year that was totally ridiculous, finishing as tight end three with all those touchdowns. You are probably chasing a little bit of a touchdowns, um, you know, coming year over year, but um, you know, being part of that Packers offense, I think it makes sense. You know, some, sometimes guys, it's like, you just want to buy more into certain offenses, um, like the bucks or, or something like that. So that's part of it is that you're buying into this offense now that Rogers is back. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, there's no secret as to what's given Tanya his value. I think, you know, Sean and I and, and, and Matthew Friedman last year just kind of argued, you know, kind of knew, you know, even though we were arguing different guys, like whoever's that Packers starting tight end is going to have some type of value with Aaron Rodgers. Sean, touchdowns are notoriously fickle, especially at the tight end position, but there's not a lot of reliable guys. So, you know, how confident should, should drafters be to, to target Tunyon and just kind of hope for the best in terms of the, the, the touchdown equity? Well, that's essentially what you're doing. You're just hoping for the best, um, which is not my um, draft strategy when it comes to tight ends. But, you know, I think Tunyon is certainly the player that benefits the most by having Aaron Rodgers clarity. Um, I think even if it was Jordan Love under center, guys like Devontae Adams and, you know, Aaron Jones even would still be, um, you know, worth, you know, round one to two picks. Uh, but Tunyon, you know, he's actually draftable now with Aaron Rodgers um, because of the touchdown upside. But I don't think he'll be able to come close to his 21.2% touchdown rate last year or his 88% catch rate. So I think I'm expecting some pretty significant regression there, unfortunately. And plus, they're adding two quality slot receivers, in my opinion, in Randall Cobb and Amari Rodgers. Um, so I think, you know, that could eat, eat into his target share uh, quite a bit. So, you know, I hate leaning on guys being touchdown dependent. I don't think it's as reliable year to year. Even Aaron Rodgers himself um, is not going to be able to maintain the 9.1% touchdown rate he threw for last year. So I'm expecting enough regression from Tunyon to not overpay here at uh, tight end 12. Yeah, I think I think Tunyon may be a couple spots higher for me, I think, over Guys that I, that I just see with less touchdown equity, like Fant uh, and Goddard uh, and, and even Gronkowski. But uh, I do like Logan Thomas is the one guy like I can't I, I wouldn't compare. I would still take Thomas over Tunyon every time because of the 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 straight up playing time. So it, Tunyon's kind of an interesting spot where, you know, you may not. He's probably worth being like the tight end eight or nine just based on the touchdown projection. But there's you probably just don't want to be taking a tight end in that range or, te- you know, doing it too much if you're if you're entering uh, a lot of drafts. So, yeah, I, I'm not super low on Tunyon, but I'm not super high on him either. Uh, I think he's 
like a borderline top tight end, top 10 tight end that another guy that in a given week, if he doesn't score a touchdown, uh, almost certainly will hurt you. So uh, that's, that's the top 12. Uh, Samantha, I'll start with you. I want to ask you, who's one guy that we haven't talked about that's not going in the top 12 that you like to finish as a startable TE1? Yeah, it was definitely between two guys at this point. I was really torn between John O. Smith, especially with the Hunter Henry, Henry news. Um, at this point, though, I'm going to go with Adam Troutman just because of the departure of Jared Cook last season, this offseason. Um, he's being drafted, I think, as tight end 19. And it feels like he's a really good sleeper pick, especially with um, Michael Thomas, the, the, the Michael Thomas news coming out with him being out. I think it's eight weeks or at least half the season around that. And who knows what it's going to look like after that. Um, what he's going to look like after that if he has the same explosion. So Adam Troutman feels like a guy that could definitely see a really, really good role um, in this offense, especially without a really clear de facto number one now. I mean, I guess you could make an argument for Traquan Smith um, being the de facto number one, but I don't think he's going to take take on, you know, Michael Thomas type volume. So I think there will be targets to go around um, regardless of who wins that quarterback competition. John, what about you? So if I if I miss out on you know one of the top six tight ends, I love taking a flyer on Irv Smith much later in the draft. Um, so much so that he um, inspired my outfit today. Um, but all signs point to a breakout season. I mean, he's entering year three at 23 years of age. Um, he's played behind Kyle Rudolph his first two seasons, um, and he will be taking over as lead tight end um, now that Kyle Rudolph is on the Giants. I mean, we saw a sneak peek at the end of last year um, of his upside when Rudolph was out of the lineup. Weeks 14 through 17, he put up the fourth most points at tight end. Um, So, you know, the Vikings, they ran the most two wide receiver sets last season. So, Urs Smith is basically the number three wide receiver. Um, They have a pretty narrow target share there. So, I think he's going to, you know, provide a pretty high floor for a late-round tight end. And he does have massive upside. Um, if, if either Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson go down, like he could be a top five, top five or top 10 tight end. So I love taking Irv Smith as a late round flyer. Yeah, I love Smith as well. I love both Smiths, Irv and Janu. Uh, but the guy I'm going to go with is Tyler Higby. I, I think with Gerald Everett gone, Tyler Higby's going to play the kind of snaps that we saw him play during that monster finish to the 2019 season. And overall that season, I mean, he ended up with four catches for, for 40, 4.6 catches for 49 yards per game. And I think that actually is a realistic outcome, given the fact that Cam Akers went down for the Rams. You have Matthew Stafford, so you have a quarterback you're more confident with. Uh, I think I just think you could see a lot of throws for the Rams, even though their defense is pretty good. Um, them being a pass heavy team and uh, with a better quarterback. So uh, I think Higby could be the number three target uh, on that team. And I think his snap rate goes up a ton. So like Tyler Higby to maybe give us some of that magic that he gave us uh, late in 2019, again, in 2021, Samantha, your top five tight ends in terms of we'll go half PPR here. Who are your top five tight ends for 2021? Yeah, my top five tight ends for this year are going to be Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, uh, George Kittle, and then Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. John, how about you? Top five. Uh, My top five tight ends are Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and then TJ Hawkinson. And my top five tight ends for 2021 are Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, number four, and then Mark Andrews, number five. All right. And final question before we get out of here, most overrated tight end, Samantha, I'll start with you. Yeah. Most overrated tight end as things stand right now is Dallas Goddard. I've seen him go really, really high in drafts as high as I think pick six in one of my drafts. And I just think with Zach Ertz kind of lingering and this offense, there's a lot of question marks. I think he's, uh, an extremely talented tight end, but it seems like he has a floor kind of much lower than, than where I've been seeing him go. Sean, how about you most overrated tight end for 2021? Uh, Most overrated tight end for 2021 is Rob Gronkowski. Um, You know, he was pretty much unplayable 
uh, last season, weeks one through four, when OJ Howard was healthy and active. Um, and then, you know, Gronk didn't really break out until week five after Howard went down. So now that OJ Howard is back, you know, this is going to be a two to three way tight end committee. It's going to make Gronk a very touch on dependent tight end. He's going to be pretty inconsistent. So I'm avoiding him um, at his ADP right now. It's uh, tight end 10. So I'm I'm considering Gronk to be the most overrated for 2021. Yeah, Gronk and Goddard were both on my list, but I'm going to have to go with Noah Fant just because he's going as a tight end seven, and I really see a scenario where he doesn't even finish in the top 12 despite his talent. You have a ton of wide receivers on the Broncos, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Tim Patrick. You have a really good defense, and you have Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, two guys at quarterback that you're not going to throw a lot uh, even if you were a bad team, really, you're going to try to have them manage the game. So I think Noah Fant could disappoint going at, at the tight end seven. In those top 80 picks, you could still get a uh, a sweeper at running back or, or wide receiver two or three. So uh, I just don't see it for Noah Fant. He's my most overrated tight end for 2021. Samantha, this was a lot of fun. I really thank you for, for joining us. I'm glad everyone finally got to hear you and, and hear your yeah, analysis. Tell everyone uh, what you're up to and uh, and where they can find you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, you can find all of my written work on actionnetwork.com. And I've been doing a lot of these player profiles and been uh, talking roundtables with you guys. Thank you again for joining us. And uh, of course, you can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore odds maker. And you can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. You can find us both by those same handles in the Action Network app. Go download it. And find all our fantasy content and our fantasy football draft tool at actionnetwork.com as well. Until next time, let's get this money.